Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of POP Talks, where we have interesting conversations with interesting people in the bike industry. And I'm your host, Russ Roca, and this is actually the podcast version of our YouTube video series. So if you want to experience this interview in video, check out our YouTube channel. This podcast and the video series is supported by listeners like you. So if you want to support this podcast, be sure to find out how in the show notes. In this episode, we're interviewing Sarah Swallow, a well-known gravel rider and also a specialized sponsored adventure athlete. We talk about what tools she uses to find and plan routes, what makes up a great route, should route creators be paid, and her experience at Dirty Kanza. It's a really fun interview, so sit back, hop on Zwift, or go for a run, and enjoy. So, thank you, Sarah, for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, last time we uh, met, actually in person, you cruised by Portland, you just wrapped up the Transamerica Trail, and a lot has happened since then. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some places you've... Uh, uh, traveled to and just things, some bikey things you've done in that time period. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess since the Transamerica Trail, uh, you know, I ended up, we ended up running through um, the Pacific Northwest. So we rode from like Portland to um, Portland to Whitefish and then we went back what did we do after that? We went back to Ohio after that for a short period of time. Um, we spent some time in California and Petaluma. Um, and then uh, later that year, we went back to Whitefish and rode the Great Divide route to Banff and then worked our way um, over to back down to Washington um, to Whitefish, all on mostly dirt roads. So that was a really fun trip and then did just like a bunch of small bike tours in the Pacific Northwest that fall. This is like 2016 and then did the Baja Divide um, kind of like one and a half times <laughs> last year. And, um, and then, you know, then I guess uh, spent some more time in Ohio in 2017 and then um, been going to Vermont and Spain and Morocco and, um, you know, just keep keeping the traveling going. Um, I'm headed back down to uh, Baja in January, Southern Baja, and then we'll be going to Mexico from there. So that's kind of like my, my big next trip. Cool. So yeah. let's talk a little bit yeah. about uh, routes. Uh, we actually got a chance to ride one of the routes that you uh, discovered out in one of our favorite parts of uh, Oregon. What's kind of your methodology or uh, what tools do you use in route planning? Do you just kind of pick a spot and scour maps or is there a theme or what's your, what's your thinking behind route building? I usually um, start by just like being inspired by a place, whether um, it's something that someone's mentioned to me or a place that I've kind of like seen a glimpse of before. Um, and in the case of that Oregon route, I, I saw kind of like that section on the Oregon outback mm-hmm. that goes through Prineville and that, that small town after Prineville. 
um, that was my favorite section. And so I knew I wanted to eventually go back there and do something there. And um, I had friends in town in Portland and the weather was bad. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's make, let's do something in central Oregon where it's dry and, and a little warmer. And so um, when I start, like after I know of a place to, that I want to ride, I start with like a paper map. I have like every state of the Delorme map. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, um, and so I kind of look at the roads there and see what I can connect with that. And then I take that and start plotting it out on um, Ride with GPS mm-hmm. um, and use a lot of Google satellite modes and satellite images to make sure these roads are actually <laughs> there. And, um, kind of map out. You can really zoom in and see where there's businesses on, um, on all those, uh, on Google and Ride with GPS. So I can see where we're going to have resupply and yeah, that's pretty much what it takes. So how, how often, like when you plan a route, do you get there and you discover like the, the way you thought you were going to go through was a dead end and you have to completely readjust on the fly. Does that happen pretty often or for like, um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty rare that it works out perfectly, you know, like, but usually at the point that um, when I'm, I've familiarized myself with the area so much just by doing all that pre-prep work um, that generally when that happens, I have an idea of like where the reroute is going to be, or I kind of know that that might be a questionable section. <laughs> and in that Oregon uh, route, there was a section that kind of like took us off the main road for a little bit. Like I had us routed on off of the main road and through all these like really terrible goat heads right. that <laughs> ended up plaguing us for like the next 12 hours and didn't get very far after that. But, but it was an easy reroute, so it wasn't... Um, it wasn't bad. So. Yeah. So when you um, when you went and actually rode that, like, did you do that over the span of? Because uh, we rode it for the event uh, for the Ramble Ride. We rode it in like three days. Did you do that in three days or less or more? We did it in. I think we did it in five days. Um, See, that would have been a perfect most, distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did it in five days because we started. We started in like late in the afternoon one day, and we um, camped on top of like off of that paved road near the top mm-hmm. and then um, we rode all day the next day and uh, camped towards the um, John Day River Basin mm-hmm. and then the following day was when we got all those goat heads and our tires and so we really only made it from that point where you get to the John Day River Basin all the way to the town um, I can't remember that Mitchell or no. Mitchell, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's as far as we got because we, we were getting like every like I think between Tom and Benedict, like they had like twelve flats. Oh dang! <laughs> that's like only ten miles. Yeah. <laughs> we, kinda, we had to go. We had to go to that tire shop that's in Mitchell and yeah. get like sealant and stuff. And um, it was a whole ordeal. So that's why it took us five days. Okay. I don't feel yeah. so bad because like during the event, we rode it in uh, three days and like I knew that it would be based it off of your route. It was like, holy crap. I wonder like how long it, it took them because it's like yeah. it was it was a it was a, a lot bur- of climbing. Yeah, it was a burly ride. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah the last day uh, before that big uh, climb, before dropping back into Prineville, uh, we got some snow. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a, a fallen tree, so they couldn't mark the course after the summit. So we were like, can oh, you, you know, tell us how not to get lost? <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. Yeah, that would be hard to, to navigate up there in the snow, I would think. Yeah. We just had kind of um, rainy weather when we were there. Yeah. But it was still, it was still nice. But yeah, three days is a big, um, those are big days yeah. <laughs> on that hill. <laughs> like, not, that's not really true. <laughs> yeah, cool. I feel, I feel a lot better having, uh, hearing you say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I know. I've, you know, the, the tat, like, we were averaging, I, I can't remember what we averaged when we did the tat. Like, it was like somewhere between, 50 and 70 miles per day and that's just like I can't even imagine doing that anymore yeah. <laughs> I'm like you know I slow down yeah. fewer miles per day and um you know lots of time for pictures and breaks and just really enjoying where you're at is like the most important thing to me cool so yeah. um I mean based on on riding that one route it seems like you've got a, a really good sense for what makes a epic ride um, do you, is this something that you hope to do in the future? Make make more routes for other people, for events, for destinations, or something? Yeah, yeah, that's what I would really like to do. And um, yeah, I think I have a good sense. I, I, this is what I did um, when I had the um, my bike shop too uh -huh. in Cincinnati was put on um, gravel rides, um, kind of like informal gravel rides. And so I kind of have a sense of how how difficult to make it, but also, um, how easy to make it and, you know, and like what, um, is enough challenge for, for most people and, um, for everybody to have like a worthwhile experience that, um, makes them feel like they've done something and they've overcome something. And, um, yeah, I really like doing that. It's like, I'm really interested in that and I hope to keep doing more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're at an interesting uh, place in like the bike touring, bikepacking slash gravel space where, you know, people have the equipment, but they're really looking for places to ride. Um, yeah. And people are creating these great routes, but, you know, creating these routes take resources and no one's really talked about, well, should route creators be compensated? Should Is it okay to like charge a fee for a GPX route if it's you know, it took like right. a long time to research. I mean, do you guys, do you have any ideas or thoughts about that? Um, you know, I think of the same, the same thing. Like I, I kind of like question all that, but the, the way I kind of see it, how it could work out is um, just being kind of like a travel agent or a consultant for this kind of thing, like giving people the tools and the information that they need um, based on what, what kind of experience they're looking for. Um, and I think that there is room for that um, in this kind of uh, industry. I think people are doing it in like different ways right now, but, right. Um, but yeah, I think the, the key is like, okay, if you're going to like set someone up with a route, then are you going to pre-ride it? Like, are you going to charge right. them for the time to pre-ride it so that you can, um, do that. And I think that that's really where it comes down to is like those routes have to be tested because you can't really send someone out 
um, in the wild, like <laughs> just based on a satellite, Google satellite image, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And I think so, it's, I think it's, I mean, I've done that for friends. Like I've, you know, they've gone to the Pyrenees and I set them up with a route through the Pyrenees. And I was like, look, you're going to get to this point. You're going to be at like 5,000 feet and the road's going to end into a grassy field. And you're going to have to hike about half a mile through that grassy field to get to the next paved road. Like, are you prepared? Like, you have to understand that's going to happen. You right, know, like, right. Um, I'm not going to be there to tell you, yes, we have to hike through this field, even though it doesn't seem like that's what we're supposed to do. But, um, but yeah, it worked out. They hiked through the field. Was that, was that a a route that you recon completely online or did you have, uh, Yeah. yeah, for the most part, I mean, these guys were doing a, um, a road, um, car tour and, um, and so I was using kind of, I combined like routes that, you know, the, the Tour de France, you know, all those epic climbs. And stuff. so that was, it's pretty easy when you're using paved roads. Um, but I did want to take them on a little adventure. And so that does require a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit more research in the gravel department um, just to ensure that they're going to be able to get through that and the, and it's and that it's not private property too like that's a big thing too because that's sometimes you can't tell right um, yeah it, you're not so yeah but yeah i think it's gonna be a definitely like a like an interesting uh development in the next couple of years because i feel like there's definitely some people that are gonna be known for creating great routes you know and it could be something yeah. that could be scaled up beyond just like creating a route for friends, but making uh, mm-hmm. routes for events, for, mm-hmm. you know, a tour company that wants to get, that that's done paid traditionally, but wants to get in the gravel, but doesn't have the expertise. So there's lots of different right. kind of avenues where um, I think it could, it could go. So Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just thinking like, you know, like uh, Phil Gaiman's uh, Cookie uh, Grand Fondo or, you know, like all these pros, pro uh, tour cyclists that have their own events, you know, people right. go because there's a special, um, I don't know, there's a, like this interesting stamp of approval. And I don't see why, you know, like people that are, you know, super ingrained into bike touring, bike packing couldn't capitalize in the same way, you know. Right, right. Like you're, I mean, you know, like we could have hold our own events, like my own ride or something like people come on something that I, I completely organize. So, um, yeah, I've thought about doing something like that too. And I'm, I'm really like in the Southwest because I think that this general area is just great for camping and bike camping and um and i think that it's a lot more like sustainable for me as like a lifestyle but i'd i'd love to you know do something here um because it's definitely you know it's already hard enough to actually do the ride it don't make (laughs) camping even harder if you have to do it in the rain and the cold you know right right (laughs) make the camping as enjoyable as we can make it yeah um, yeah. Cool. Uh, well, let's move on to uh, the topic of uh, DK. It's something that Laura and I are uh, considering uh, doing next year if the lottery gods are, are uh, in our yeah. favor. Uh, what was uh, the experience for you? Like I was, I listened to the uh, Let's, ha- uh, 
what's the other podcast that interviewed we you? We got to hang out. Yeah. And it sounds like yeah. most of your training was just like touring there. Uh, yeah, yeah. So what was uh, what was the experience of the, of the ride? Was it hard? Was it like a piece of cake after having done that tour? Um, well, so I have... I have subjected myself to long distance rides in the past, like, um, like more than 200 miles, like on the pavement and I've done like hundred mile rides. So I think I was, um, a little bit more familiar with the pain that I was expecting. (laughs) Um, and so I, and I knew I didn't want to train by just riding like hundred mile gravel rides, like you know, once a week, like I didn't really want to do that. And I had just come from the Baja divide. And, um, so I was kind of ramping back up. I think I went on 100 mile ride, um, by myself before that bike tour. And then I, we did like, uh, I went down to Arizona with some people and we did some like big rides. Like we did a 130 mile ride up the backside of Mount Lemon. And, um, and then we did some other like just gravel rides on cross bikes kind of stuff. Um, and then, and then, yeah, then I, in May I flew, uh, to Durango and then we started here to ride to Emporia and that was like one of the most the first three like the first week of that bike tour was one of the hardest bike tours <laughs> I've ever been on um, just because we hit like snow in in the first mountain pass and then it was a lot of sand in the next mountain pass um, which we all expected but right. it was just you know really time consuming and a lot of hiking um, and, uh, yeah. And then by the time, like we got into like the front range of Colorado and Kansas, you know, and it started flattening out, it was like tilted, um, my, the nose of my saddle down a little bit more <laughs> and, you know, had my arrow bars and kind of settled into, yeah. um, just a nice consistent pace. And so during like the actual dirty Kansas event, like, I just thought, I mean, I, Benedict really like psyched me up before. He's like, you gotta like try hard, you know, like, you gotta, like, try and do decently, you know, like you guys tried to do, do well. And so I, I kind of went into it thinking like, okay, I'm going to push harder than my normal touring pace. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to try to hang with these people as long as I can. And so like the first 50 miles was like, two hours like it was crazy it was so fast and then I like kind of crashed after that (laughs) not crashed but like bonked a little bit and um had to recover and so mile 100 by the time I got to mile 100 I was feeling like terrible and um but then after that I I kind of like I just had a whole bunch of food and and lots of like beverages and um you know coke and coconut water (laughs) and stuff like that and then I really bounced back and I felt really good like the last hundred miles. And um, so, yeah, it wasn't as terrible as I thought it was going to be. And I finished like three hours faster than I initially thought it was going to take me, awesome. which I was really excited about. And, um, 
And yeah, I mean, I thought the bike touring really helped because it gets your, I mean, especially bike touring on the bike that you're actually going to be riding, because Mm -hmm. I think the position and your comfort on your bike is the most um, important thing for an event like that. And if you're not comfortable, then you're going to just have all sorts of problems. So what do you, Um, and by the time, when, go ahead. when you do an event like that, what do you eat? Are you like a real food kind of person or do you take your nutrition in like gels or, or stuff? Uh, well, I'm like, I'm not very good at any <laughs> of my nutrition. So <laughs> I, I kind of, at the time I was like really into uh, real food. So I was um, eating a lot of like cinnamon raisin toast with uh, coconut oil and avocado on top. So nice. like I pretty much ate that for breakfast and at all of the, um, break points, my mom had like a sandwich made up for me and then I drank coconut water and Coca-Cola. And I really like, cause I was like kind of just like nervous and like in a rush, like I didn't feel like I could eat that much, like on the bike, like my stomach was all turned up and I could drink, but I just wasn't really eating much, but I carried like little gel, like cliff bars and like, um, I don't really like gels, but I like those, um, gummy things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm like addicted to coffee, so I <laughs> so I always carry like a caffeinated version of those jelly things in case of an emergency. Um, but nice. yeah, real food. I think I had a hot dog at mile hundred. Um, maybe stuff so like who? That, so but. it sounds like your your family was uh, your crew. Yeah, my mom, my dad did the Dirty Kansas. He did the 100 miler. Okay. And he's actually trying to do 200 miler this year. He's oh, like doing like two or three, trying to do two or three 200 miler races this year. Which oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was, he was racing and then my mom was there and she was waiting at the rest stops for both of us. Yeah. And I even switched shoes my like after the first 50 miles because my shoes from the bike tour had kind of like imploded <laughs> and um, so I put on some like older shoes at mile 50 comfortable yeah but yeah it was nice to have uh, some support I, I was going into it thinking I would have no support and I'm really glad that I did because there's like so encouraging to have someone like <laughs> cheering for you when you come and um come into the rest stops and having someone just like hand you food and stuff because you're just like so discombobulated that you're like, I can't even feed myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's something we're going to have to navigate if we actually uh, get in is like, what are we going to do for a crew and all that? But um, we'll see. (laughs) My mom, mom had fun, you know, she made friends and um, the Yonder Journal guys were there. And so she got to witness a lot of like weird things from them. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) there's some, She's got some funny stories about that. Um, but yeah, so it, I think it was fun for her. Cool. So let's There's talk. A cool vibe in Imperia. Yeah, that's what I've, uh, you know, that's what definitely one of the reasons why we want to go check it out firsthand is like it seems like the community's really embraced it, like the neighboring areas. Um, I know that they give preference to like locals riding the event. So uh, I'm really stoked about that, like community building aspect of, of Dirty Kansas. So. Right, right. Cause they, we got there like a few days ahead of time, and we watched the town come alive oh, as cool. cyclists. 
were arriving, and that was really fun to witness because, you know, it's a really slow, slow-paced kind of town. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, uh, let's go behind the hashtag, um, you know, looking at everyone's social feed, you know, yours, ours, you know, we, pre- we have to project like a certain kind of image of like living the dream. But, you know, Laura and I, know, like we were on the road for about three years, so we know it's, you know, ups and downs. Like what are yeah. some of the, the kind of the downsides of like the, the nomadic life or semi-nomadic life that you've experienced? Um, if any, you know, <laughs> you can, yeah. Yeah. so, so many, <laughs> it's not, as, it's not as great as it appears on Instagram. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, um, you know, the whole thing behind like living the dream is, um, for me, I see what I'm doing. I, I feel more free than how I felt when I owned a bike shop. And, um, but at the same time, my life is like less stable. Um, so it's always changing. And, um, you know, I, I don't get to see my friends and family as much or, um, you know, like relationships change. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's really, it can be hard. Um, but at the same time, incredibly rewarding too. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not tied down, not to say that I will never be tied down again, but, um, but, you know, there's an element that, you know, I, I feel like I'm exploring what I'm, I want to explore right now in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have the freedom to do that. Whereas I didn't have that freedom before. And, um, and I like that a lot too. Um, What's what's, what's probably the most stressful thing for you, like in this lifestyle? Um, it kind of depends. Like this past um, summer, it was like money and finance, financially and stuff. And, um, you know, I was making payments on um, my van and I didn't need making payments on a van that I was, that I had purchased, like when I was making a lot more money. Mm-hmm. And so I... And, you know, the band is tied with lots of memories, too. Um, but but now, you know, like, the, you know, sponsorship comes through and, like, financials work out. And um, I don't necessarily have those, you know, worries right now. But, um, yeah, and, like, kind of, like, you know, you always – I always have to be kind of, like, focused on – I have to be self-motivated, for one, you know. Like, I have to keep myself <laughs> – busy and like doing stuff and looking forward mm-hmm. um but it's a lot of fun i mean like i like the planning stages of it and um yeah i like to be able to get to see these new places and experience these new places and um i i am really happy on my bike and i know that and i'm i'm more happy than necessarily being picked up so yeah i'm just kind of <laughs> what makes me happy and that doesn't necessarily make everybody happy. Like not everybody is happy on the bike, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that I've ridden with people where that's been the case and, um, and you know, they've learned that about themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, that's the way it goes. It's like, yeah, it might seem incredibly awesome, but 
you might not actually like it. Right. <laughs> it's, kind of it's kind of hard, you know, like yeah. physically hard and then emotionally hard, um, especially when you're doing it with people that you're really close to. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's all it's not always, um, you know, you know, pretty, pretty pictures <laughs> and awesome. Yeah, like I, I mean, a lot. Yeah, I know when we when we were on the road, um, you know, we loved it uh, a lot, a ton for the first couple years. Uh, but we got like we got emotionally tired, you know, because yeah. you're like you said, like you're always having to, you know, land the next gig, you know, pitch that next uh, sponsor, um, right. and like you know, you can never really do long term planning because we always have to move and things are always shifting and everything's really dynamic. Uh, which is which is awesome and exciting, but like it's it's an emotional grindstone sometimes. <laughs> right, it, it's a hustle, and you don't necessarily feel like you're making very many roots in any place, and you know that's kind of different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's <laughs> harder, harder than it looks. <laughs> yeah, 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 and also yeah, ultimately that for us it was like like you were saying the roots issue. Uh, like we met like a ton of people, but we didn't know anyone very well. And like right. there was that we didn't feel like we had a community. We couldn't plug into something larger than you know just what was in our immediate surroundings. So that's yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like that's kind of what I'm working on right now is like trying to establish a balance where I have a home base and then I travel from that home base. And so I feel like Durango is a great home base because I'm in close proximity to a lot of great bike touring that I would like to do. Um, and then I can still um, come back and, and you know, have this community. But I'm new to this community, so yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, you know, just making friends and, you know, making friends and becoming part of that community is, is harder, you know, is a hard task too. So, yeah. um, you know, constant, you have to be really adaptable and okay, you know, and patient, you know. So what's the, what's the biggest, uh, life lesson you, you think you've learned with this semi-nomadic lifestyle last couple of years? Oh, the biggest lesson. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I just, I kind of like, I'm just trying to follow, follow my dream, you know? And I think, um, I'm not trying to say, no, I can't do that. Or no, that's like, um, I shouldn't do that right now. Like, I feel like, you know, we only, I mean, well, I'm not really sure about this, but I'm pretty sure we only have one life to live. And I think that, um, we might as well make the most of it. And I think that bike touring is an amazing way to connect with people and land and that we can really learn a a lot about other cultures and just like the world in general from experiencing it on a bicycle, like traveling through on a bicycle. And yeah, I think that pace offers, um, you know, a unique perspective. And I think that if everybody did it a little bit more, they would like each other more. Right. (laughs) Or or just like, it would be a better place, you know? Um, I mean, I went to Morocco and Morocco was like the first 
Muslim country I'd ever been to. And I was just amazed by how diverse that culture is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's not only one kind of Muslim person, there's like a million different kinds of Muslim people. And it's like our, you know, the way we're kind of told in the media is mm -hmm. it just makes it seem like it's less of that. So, you know, I just thought that was really educational experience for myself. I didn't spend too much time there, but, um, but I was grateful for the opportunity to, um, to just see that uh, a little bit. So. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that trip. How, like, what was, uh, how many, how long was your tour out there? And, you know, what were some interesting sites and interactions you had? Yeah, I, um, it was about a month, I think it was about a month long. And I flew into Barcelona and uh, we uh, rode around, we got rented city bikes and rode around Barcelona for like three days straight um, in the rain, which nice. was pretty fun. <laughs> um, I think I took my bike down an escalator at one point. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was really interesting because during that time, um, the Catalonia uh, referendum was happening. So they were, there was like a huge um, protest um, or rally in the square that we witnessed and just kind of like picking up on all those um, people's perspective on what was going on right. was really interesting. And then we went to Ibiza just because <laughs> my partner wanted to go there because they were there like 20 years ago for a rave for, fun, <laughs> for raving. Yeah, but we didn't do any raving. I no raving. Like, I am not going to a rave. You don't carry glow sticks um, on your bike. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, no, I'm not doing that. But we were able to like ride. Um, it was pretty rough, pretty hard riding. It was like lots of bluff and so it's steep and rocky, but we were able to find some really cool beach spots. We ended up at one point just riding to a certain point and then hiding our bikes in the bushes mm -hmm. and then filling our backpacks up with all the contents of our bike and then hiking further out to this, this like remote cove spending the night there and then like hiking into town and then back up to our bikes the oh, following awesome. day. And that was, that was the highlight of Ibiza. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then from there we took a ferry to Denia and then a bus to Granada. Um, and Granada was really incredible, interesting, um, place. I really enjoyed that. I think I, we arrived there at night, so I wasn't like bombarded by the, the tourism <laughs> there. Um, but I just thought it was, there were just so many interesting smells and sounds and, um, just kind of like this mysterious vibe of Granada. Yeah. And then from there we picked up, um, the ultra of the sewer route that Logan Watt put together. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we followed that um, kind of on and off. Like we'd get to like a lot of hike biking and then we'd be like, okay, let's make this easier. So <laughs> we'd take like a, a dirt road or a paved road or something like that. Yeah. And then uh, we just eventually worked our way to Rhonda, which is another interesting town, but that was just like full of tourists. So what we ended up doing was like, um, planning to get to these places like pretty late at night so that we didn't um, have to deal with the tourism too much. Right. And plus everything's like closed during the day. So it's not very like, you've got to really 
understand the siesta part of their yeah. their day. It's like there's no for bike tours. Yeah. <laughs> so um so yeah, and then we work our way down um through the there's like another set of mountains all the way down to Algeciras. And from Algeciras, um we took well we took a bus to this other place where we took a ferry to Tangier mm-hmm. and uh, entered in Tangier and that was like just you know culture shock <laughs> total culture shock yeah you know, just trying to get to the the hotel that we were going to stay at and um going through the old Medina was really interesting and um and then the the markets and yeah mm. I was just pretty much just soaking it up for like three days yeah and wearing all the clothes I could manage to find yeah <laughs> um, you know because I didn't I didn't, I wasn't quite sure you know I was picking up on what everybody else was like doing what all the other women like I was like okay so they're covering their shoulders but maybe not their heads or they're covering their legs but maybe not their shoulders but I decided that the best thing I could do was probably cover my legs because right. I didn't see too many wearing shorts so. right yeah well, it's good. It's great that you're respectful of the local cultures, you know, not just like oh, yeah. stomp around there. <laughs> I know it, you know, I don't think you would, it, it's not even very, it's not fun for the person that's, well, I mean, it, for the like five minutes that I was riding in shorts and like a cut off t-shirt or whatever, I was just like, I need to get up some new clothes and, you know, blend in a little bit more because right now it's, sticking too much sticking out too much but but morocco is like a really like liberal country (laughs) so it's like you know i think people you know people that were staying in our hotel there from like france they weren't like they weren't changing the way they dressed or anything like that so yeah i i was yeah be more comfortable for myself cool yeah well let's uh Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, this uh, WTF summit that uh, you're planning. Uh, can you tell, tell, tell us a little, a little bit about it and uh, why you think it's yep. necessary? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm working on this with a lot of awesome, other awesome women. Um, and what it is, it's called the WTF Bike Explorer Summit. And um, essentially what we're planning is an outdoor weekend of rides, um, clinics, campfires, and storytelling in Whitefish, Montana for women, transgender, femme, and non-binary cyclists. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just feel like it's time, it's long overdue that... um, that we get together and the focus is that all these cyclists are people who use their bicycles to explore. So not necessarily in competition or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So we're just trying to create a, like a safe space to to connect and celebrate one another and um, just get the conversation started and say like, um, more people can be doing this, you know, and, and meeting each other and finding mm-hmm. people to ride with and, um, and just showing, um, the rest of the world that, um, we're out here and, and we're capable of, of being represented, I think. 
So, and what do you yeah. think? What do you think is the the biggest challenge uh, for 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 women in 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 bike exploration? Um, the biggest challenge, I think, I think you know, it's easier to do it when you have people to ride with for okay. one. So, um, you know, having an opportunity to ride with other people um, is important. But also, um, you know, like for us short people. Um, you know, bikes and packing bikes is, is really hard and right. <laughs> um, we have space to fill up and, um, we're expected to carry, you know, just as much as everybody else that has like a size 58 centimeter or 60 centimeter frame. So right. the thing that I, I experience the most, like the most difficulty is just like working with what is available to me like in terms of these like really small frames um, that don't have very much frame space and they don't have very much space between the the saddle and the tire mm-hmm. um, to carry bags so um, you know that kind of thing because we don't want to have to rely on our partner or our boyfriends or whatever to carry our stuff for us you mm-hmm. know we want to be able to do it by ourselves so that's not the only thing that's mostly my personal, um, my personal thing, but uh, I think just, um, you know, having people to ride with and knowing that there's more people there that do and just feeling like you have the tools to, to get out there and do what you want to do is important and, um, yeah, motivated. I, I was really inspired by, um, the, the, how many women showed up to the Baja Divide? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's about 50 women there, and um, I rode with like lots of different groups throughout my time down there, mm-hmm. and I rode with like three different women who were on their either f- first bike tour ever, wow, or first <laughs> like mountain tour, and yeah, and they were just killing it, you know. And when it comes to exploration and adventure riding and everything like that um we have the endurance and the mental endurance to be <laughs> just good or if not better than dudes doing right. this so um i think that there you know is a lot of room for growth um for women in this sport and um and i think um yeah and, excited to see what happens this year i think this is um the year the year for it well what what do you you think um if you if you had a magic wand uh what do you think the industry could do better in terms of uh getting more more women uh, active in bike exploration um i mean i think the easiest thing for companies to do would just be incorporate more women doing like badass stuff in their media. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think that there's a lot of like, like when I see bike packing stuff, like in my feed, it's mostly dudes doing this stuff. Right. Um, no, that's not, they're not the only ones out there doing it. So yeah. um, I think that's like the easiest thing, you know, just highlighting, um, highlighting you know the feats that feats that women are doing out there on the the dirt and the the camping and um i got i've been lucky i met um push bike girl have you ever heard of her heike yeah um uh, i met 
I met her twice <laughs> and she's probably been one of the most inspiring women to me. Um, and she's just been riding around the world in all different parts of the world um, for five years now alone. Yeah. And yeah, she's just an incredible person. I mean, like, why, why don't we know more? Why doesn't she have 90,000 followers on Instagram? <laughs> right. Yeah. When, like in, like when I, when I feel cynical, I call bike packing bro packing because it, it tends yeah. to, <laughs> to heavily right, skew right. male in the media. Uh, speaking of that, do you feel like um, any particular pressure to always, you know, represent uh, because you do have like a, a bit of a, a stage and a voice uh, to keep women, um, you know, top of mind? Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel a terrible amount of pressure. I mean, the way kind of I, the way I look at it is um, I just need to lead by example. Um, so I just need to keep doing what I'm doing and um, sharing my experiences um, and um, be involved with where I can be of use too. Um, so I don't feel a terrible amount of pressure and I, I've just been lucky. I've been, I have, you know, really good friends that, that bike tour and are badass women that have just like grown up cycling with. So mm-hmm. I just like, I just think it's obvious <laughs> to me that I just take it, you know, for granted that, that, you know, I just know how strong women are and how capable they are. So, um, yeah, I don't feel a terrible amount of pressure. I mean, I ride, I have so many guy friends that I ride with too. So it's like, you know, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to lead by example. I'll just keep doing stuff and yeah. showing that it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. But I do, I do like that. I do have a platform to share my experience with the, the specialized um, adventure program. And that's been really great. Um, so cool. So we're, um, is there a, a website up for the, the WTF uh, Bike Exploration Summit yet? Or how, how can people um, learn about it? I think um, check back after Christmas. Okay. And we'll have uh, a website up and running by then, um, kind of early in the works. But for right now, um, we do have a venue reserved, and it's going to be at the Whitefish Bike Retreat on August 16th through the 19th. So save those dates and keep um, an eye out because we're going to have a pre-ride um, uh, event series. So we're going to have uh, regional overnight campouts in different parts of the country to get the conversation started mm-hmm. and. Um, get um, the momentum going for this event. So we're hoping to bring um, a lot of awesome women trans fam cyclists mm-hmm. together for that kind of thing as well. Cool. Awesome. Well, I think this yeah. is a, a good place to end this interview. Uh, if people want to keep up with you, you have a newish website, new website, or what's the best way mm-hmm. to, to follow your adventures? Um, on Instagram, Sarah J. Swallow. Um, and my website is www.sarahjswallow.com. Cool. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah, just Google me and you'll find out what I'm doing. <laughs> Sweet. Well, thank you, Sarah, so much for being our uh, guest today. 
And if you guys uh, like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up, subscribe, and I'm gonna put links in the description for all the good things that we talked about, as well as, um, I don't know, leave comments if you uh, have suggestions for, for future guests. And uh, thanks for watching. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Russ. See ya.